I V M. Hi, this is Anupam here from the Takshila Institution, and I have with me Narayan Ramachandran, who's a fellow and co-founder of Takshila. Uh, we're going to be speaking about the budget, uh, which is going to be coming up in a few days. So I want to just get initial thoughts from Narayan. Hi, Narayan. Welcome. Thank you very much, Anupam. Glad to be here. So we'll first start off with a bigger question, which is much beyond the scope of normal budget session. So, what is the scope of the budget in today's world? Yeah, Anupam, I I really think that India has come a long way. It's a maturing country, and I am not sure that uh, the budget is uh, the only place for reform, or indeed any place for reform at all. I believe. that the budget uh, as the name itself suggests should uh, retain only that flavor that it should be an account of what the government has done and an account of what the government is going to do in the forward year but not really one where either big pronouncements are made we have misused the budget in my view in the last several years by just talking about this and that you know a lot of hocus pocus moving money from one scheme to another rebranding schemes rechristening schemes um uh, depending on the political dispensation in power but i i think all of that uh, should not really be the case uh we have uh, both uh, democratic and political institutions that are supposed to be functioning year round as well as financial regulatory and other institutions that actually do function year round uh so examples are the legislature and things like the rbi and the and sebi and these institutions should continually uh propose uh new ideas and new reforms as indeed the rbi has done with its recent uh licenses for payment banks and for uh small finance banks so i don't believe that the budget is necessarily uh a, a vehicle for reform it should be done continually so the budget has a place but it should not hold the kind of importance that it does uh, today yes i i think i think frankly the circus that we have made the budget into is completely uh, not deserved at all uh, i think i mean true that human beings uh, concentrate their emotion in periods of time and therefore you know there is some sort of emotional social value to trying to uh, coalesce everything into a moment in time but i think we are frankly past that and i think it's time to stop this circus uh it's 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 really not not the right vehicle for uh india's path forward so are there any big macroeconomic reforms that can be achieved only through the budget which probably cannot be achieved by the other institutions that we spoke of Throughout the year. Yeah, I don't think achieved is the right word. I think the right word is uh, signaled and given a place of importance through the budget. And I do think one or two macroeconomic reforms, uh, or at least macroeconomic objectives, can be stated through the budget. For instance, a pet peeve of mine has been that as a self-respecting country, India must declare a time-bound. Uh, end to uh, its primary deficit uh, it's a very shameful statistic that a country like india still runs a primary deficit which means a deficit before you take in debt payments on the on the books of the government and i really think that you know as a self respecting country we should get rid of the primary deficit if we can't do it in one year maybe we can do it over two or three there have been moments in history uh, in 2003 4 i think or or 4 5 where we have actually achieved this 
but I think going forward, we should sustainably achieve it. Now, something like that, I think the budget is sort of the right place uh, to, to articulate that. And from a signaling value, it has great signaling value because if the people believe it can actually be achieved, then the cost of inflation reduces in the economy, which then has enormous effects, uh, positive effects on the cost of capital to the entire economy. So, um, then moving forward, what are the potential areas for uh, plugging the deficit? Not just the primary deficit, which you say should be completely gone rid of, but the fiscal deficit overall. How can we get within the targets set by the FRBMA? Well, first of all, FRBMA is sort of a permanent rule, permanently suspended. So, I'm not sure <laughs> entirely what that means. It basically means we don't care. Uh, but, uh, I, you know, I think a general approach, and I'm actually... In, in, in the earlier conversation, Anupam, you had asked me about capital spending. I think this is a point to bring sort of those two together. I think as a general rule, India would do well to reduce government consumption and orient much of that consumption towards capital spending. That, of course, may be a cyclical tactic to kickstart what has been a very anemic capital spending goods part of the economy. But beyond that, I think the ratio of government consumption to government investment should change. And I think that is the primary nature of primary nature of the type of spend, uh, type of budget that we need. Now, of course, this is easier said than done, particularly when people say, for instance, that India spends about the lowest amount on education. India spends certainly the, among the lowest in large countries for health. Uh, and uh, India spends a, a fair bit on defense, not quite as much as China or the U.S., but as a percentage GDP, a fair bit on defense. So there is this notion of how do you reorient the sectoral aspects of the economy, but there is also this greater reorientation, I think, that is required between consumption and investment. Even in defense spending, if we spend much of what we spend on wages, salaries, and pensions, rather than on, you know, capital equipment or on uh, new technologies for defense, then it's not investment, it's actually just consumption. And so uh, I think we need that sort of new revolution in Indian budget uh, allocations, which is more, more investment, less spending. Easier said than done, but I think we can make a beginning, uh, beginning of that. Next question is something that has probably uh, come to the minds of every political analyst and even layman who read the newspapers on a daily basis. How important is the GST, the goods and services tax? And in your view, when can it be achieved? Yeah, I think, you know, uh, I, I have to agree with pretty much uh, all the commentators uh, who have uh, opined on the matter that the GSD, GST is a very important uh, reform. It it has huge actual value. It has huge signaling value. Uh, the, the actual value it has is effectively it treats the Indian uh, Union as a single economic zone and reduces the frictional cost of goods and services movement within that union, not only in terms of sort of rupee cost of, of moves, moving stuff, but also in terms of time cost, friction cost, uh, and it all gets substituted in a positive sense by replacing a lot of that collection in, in technological terms. 
It also converts India from a data poor economy to a data rich economy and that notion of a data rich economy allows us to in the future undertake reform in specific areas and segments where frictional costs still might be impeding uh, goods and services flow. So GST is unabashedly a good idea. Can it be done soon? I actually do believe so. I mean, there is, of course, a mechanics of getting it done. There is actually a two-stage legislative process, the first of which is a constitutional amendment, and then the second of which is a majority state agreement on the terms of the deal of GST, so to speak. But I really think it's a political economy problem. You know, everybody is sitting on their... A bar stools, uh, if you want to use a metaphor, and the game is being played on the ground. Somebody has to come off the bar stool and actually sit on the ground and maybe invite one or two others to sit around them uh, so that the game gets played at the level it should be played. And I think, frankly, it behooves uh, both our prime, current prime minister and the finance minister to say, we will reach out to the opposition. As we know in India, the opposition opposes. It doesn't matter where the idea comes from. So, uh, so we need to get past that and essentially get uh, the Congress in specific, but other parties as well, on the train. And I think it can be done with diplomatic uh, overture coming uh, as it should from from government. About the actual value that GST might add to the economy, and there are uh, various projections of it by different commentators saying that it'll add 1% to the GDP, 2% to the GDP and so on. Um, what are your thoughts? Is it is it something that which is tangible in this sort of way where you can calculate uh, how much it would add to the GDP or is it a more intangible overall benefit that India would have? No, no. I mean, uh, there are many things that might be intangible but the impact of GST is not. The reason I will, uh, so I will agree with the order of magnitude of your estimate one two percent GDP, but I won't venture an exact number because two things haven't happened. One is we haven't agreed on what the GST rate will be. That's number one, and number two, we have not agreed on what will be exempt from GST. I most people believe that liquor, for instance, will be exempt, but it will be a tragedy if we exempt several things. So, if we exempt petroleum product, etc., etc. So, so I think the more you exempt, the less uh, sort of contribution it will make to trendline GDP. But I do think that if you get a reasonable version of the GST, you can aspire to, we can aspire to a 1-2% contribution on trendline GDP for several, several years, which I think is fantastic for a just just a, a slight detour on the question itself, if I may. There is this debate as to whether you need a GST that is immaculately conceived or whether you can have a GST that is, you know, uh, built with political compromise in it. Uh, I actually believe that it is better for us to stretch a little bit more in terms of time and achieve as best a GST as we can rather than compromise with the hope that we can add it in later. India's very, very uh, uh, leaky democratic system will not permit hard decisions to be made later. It is better to struggle and get them in in the first shot. Uh, I mean, take 
a completely different subject personal law for instance india made a compromise in in the 50s to allow a religious personal law and you know 70 years later we are debating when it might get debated uh, uh we haven't even gotten to the point of debate just as in contrast egypt at exactly the same time had exactly the same question and egypt of all countries actually went to secular personal law so i am of the opinion that in law making you better get the best law you can even if it takes you a little while longer rather than compromise too much there will have to be some compromise maybe some compromise on the rates but hopefully those compromises are in the nature of a temporary phenomenon so for instance compensation to the states that actually sunsets and disappears rather than becomes a permanent irritant in how the law itself is configured back to the budget then uh, given that uh, the government has been spending uh, or has come out with quite a few schemes and this is been supported by low crude oil prices global crude oil prices going ahead how should the government balance its resources and its expenditure and should it account for a potential hike in fuel prices no i it's you know uh, the, the, as a portfolio manager for years and years and years the one thing the two things i don't ever predict are one the price of oil and two uh, what happens in a us presidential election uh, both of which may have material impact in in the year ahead uh, not only to uh, to the world but to india uh, particularly as well i do believe actually that the us presidential election itself might even have a significant impact on the world so these two are unpredictable and i would not hazard a guess and i don't believe that uh, the government should as well that said one we should maximize the low price of oil that has been given as nutritious manna from heaven to us um, and second we should be mindful that should oil prices increase we may need to set in place a series of actions so i would rather than sort of build plan b into plan a i would maximize plan a and keep plan b ready in case oil prices go up uh because i think if you build plan b into plan a then you get uh what i call an imagination deficit we already have uh three deficits we have a fiscal deficit a current account deficit and an implementation deficit if we add an imagination deficit to that uh, i don't think it will augur very well to for india so i would rather keep our imagination up and say here's the time of oil prices let's do maximum amount of reform that we can but in the in the instance that oil prices do indeed start rising we should we should implement plan b rapidly and that is to say okay you know we tried the imagination route but now conditions are no longer favorable we'll have to stop it go back to being conservative all right thank you so much narayan for your economic acumen and uh, your great insights uh, that's it folks thank you for joining